Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. Today, we're recommending the book Zeal Without Burnout, Seven Keys to a Lifelong Ministry of Sustainable Sacrifice by Christopher Ash. You can listen for free to Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ash, narrated by Ralph Lister, by going to audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Get a 30-day free trial, including a free audiobook download when you sign up today. Hey guys, it's Tim. Today's episode is a repeat. It is our very first rerun, as well as our very first episode. On December 5th, 2016, we released the first episode of Productive Ministry, entitled Overcoming Burnout in Ministry. It's a special episode where Rocky and I tell our own stories of experiencing burnout in ministry and how we overcame it. The reason we're releasing this episode is because there is another collaborative episode that we're working on about the future of the youth ministry, and it's not quite done yet, but hopefully it'll be in the feed in two weeks. This also happens to coincide with the launch of our episodes on YouTube. So if you want to go to the Productive Ministry YouTube channel, you can find the first three episodes of our podcast. We'll be getting more up there every week. And if that's your preferred player for listening to episodes, go go ahead and take a listen. Well, without further ado, this is a repeat of our very first episode, Overcoming Burnout in Ministry. Three, two, one. Hi, you're listening to the Productive Ministry Podcast. I'm Tim. I'm Rocky. And we're your hosts. This is episode one, and Rocky, you wanted to start with a topic. Yeah, I wanted to talk about burnout because it's something that we all experience at some point. If you work in the church, if you are a pastor, a minister, a volunteer, whatever it is that you do, you're going to find yourself burning out, getting frustrated, and feeling completely overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, Tim, I did some research, and there's some statistics on this. If you go to pastorburnout.com. Oh, share. Please share. Yeah. So 23% of pastors have been pressured to resign at least once in their careers. You said 23 23% have been pressured to. Over one in five have been pressured to resign. Uh, I believe that. 33% felt burned out within their first five years of ministry. I believe that. I work with a lot of young mm-hmm. yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, 45% of pastors say that they've experienced depression and burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence for ministry. 45%. That's almost half. But it gets better. 57% would leave the pastorate if they had something else to go to or some other vacation that they could do, some other vocation they could do. I'm sure they would also like a vacation. Yeah, we all, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe if they took a vacation. Yeah. 70% don't feel like they have any close friends. 90% feel unqualified or poorly prepared for ministry. 90% work more than 50 hours a week. Uh, 94% feel under pressure to have a perfect family. And here's the big one. 1,500 pastors leave their ministries each month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure every month. Those are some pretty rough statistics. I know, but the, the problem is, Tim, is that when you're, when you're out there and you're in the field, 
um, and you're working every day on your own, you don't realize how common burnout is. So it's, I thought it was really important for us to start here because it's, it's so common, in fact, that over half of us uh, statistically would rather go find something else to do than stay in the ministry for, if we felt qualified at all to do anything else. That's how common it is. You know, it's really funny to think about because, um, you know, when you're experiencing burnout, you feel really alone, but it's like, it's almost like as unifying a experience as any like ministry experience could be. Oh, definitely. Like here, here are all these stats. Like you're not alone in this. You're like, apparently over half of us are all trying to like find some other gig. Yeah. And it's, it's not, and you know, it's not relegated to people who, who aren't, you know, professional podcasters and bloggers. Um, <laughs> Because I, you know, I, I've certainly felt, I've, I've certainly felt burnout. I know that you have gone through some burnout stuff. Oh, absolutely. What was it? What was it like? For, what was your burnout story? Where did it start? Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I was uh, working as a youth minister at a decently sized church. Now, I always have to caveat. Uh, I'm in Dallas, and Dallas is the home of the uh, mall-sized mega church, and so um, you know, a congregation of several hundred would be like huge in other parts of the country is like only kind of big in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say it was a youth ministry that I was part of. I came into it uh, after they had just lost a, a, the previous youth ministry after I think just about two years or less. So yeah. they were writing that, that statistic for youth ministry turnover but, you know, everyone who comes into a ministry position always thinks like it's going to be different with them because I had previous ministry experience. I had a wealth of a varied experience. I had a good support group of um, minister friends who we would get together. You were one of them. We would talk about ministry right. stuff. And so I was uh, ready for a challenge and um, didn't honestly think this would be too much of a challenge. A lot of the the personnel and leadership of the church had, you know, kind of changed over in the previous couple of years. And um, it looked like we were all on the same page about moving forward with these ministries. And, and it was a real exciting time. And at first it, that was the experience we were getting together. We were doing team plannings. We were trying to create synergy between our ministries, and it was really fun to work on. It was probably the largest church I had ever worked at. Uh, it was the largest team I was ever part of, and it was really fun to have that team to get together with regularly. Right. To So you start out, you start out, actually, I remember this, you had just gotten back from the mission field, yep. right? You had just yep. gotten back from your stint in Guatemala, and you start at this church, and you're excited because it provides an opportunity to work on a team, and so you going in, you have these high expectations about what it's going to be like. Yeah, and, and everyone was real open about the fact that there had been problems in the past. And I think that was part of uh, part of the reason why I wasn't concerned. I mean, a lot of people would look at that as like red flags, red flags, red flags. And, and to me, there was this kind of honesty about like, yes, there have been issues. We're aware of them. But we want to, as a team, like move past them. We want to take these ministries. Now these forward. were just as a just to clarify. These were issues in your church, or these were issues in your youth ministry. Uh, with both, both, right? They knew that there were congregational issues. They knew that there were ministry issues. Um, they so kind of, it was the 
It was the ghost of pastors past. Yes, definitely yeah. one of those situations. And and so, but because of that, like I said, new teams are coming together. Um, honesty about like past problems, and so I felt I was excited. And for for many months, uh, it was actually a real joy to work there in a way that I hadn't experienced in some of my other ministries because there was this, this unity of purpose. Um, but you know, the thing about problems when they're set into a church right uh all of the enthusiasm you know one could muster even as a team sometimes is and oftentimes is not enough to like root those things out and get rid of them because deep set problems take a long time to heal right so even though and this is common ministry experience even though the leadership has a vision and direction that they're wanting to move a lot of times the congregation is still, is still, you know, they have PTSD about whatever it was that happened or they, they idealize the past or they, uh, they criminalize the past or, you know. Well, yeah. And that's the hard thing is, is that even, um, even ministries that are full of, of a unified vision and purpose that have clearly defined values can feel the pressure of those past issues. And, and, if, you know, and if they're people issues and those people are still present, um, those people are still exerting force on the ministries, you know, currently, you know, they haven't, you haven't if you haven't gotten rooted out, you know, individuals, that might be a problem. They're still going to be there. And so one of the things that happens and, and every ministry does this is over time, you make choices, right? Right. Not every battle is going to be fought and you, you decide like what are we going to tolerate now so that we can work on the overarching problem in the long run or accomplish the overarching goal in the long run. Right. You know, you don't even ever you don't even always look at it in terms of problems that need to be fixed. Well, you know, ministry is always about what is the overarching goal. And so it's really easy to like to see these problems not as problems but as just like ministry things. Right. Uh, you know, and 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 as time went on though, you make these choices and the leadership makes certain choices. And, um, and, and what happened in, in my experience is that um, at first there was this real attitude of let's come in, let's, let's, you know, throw everything open and say, what can we make this be? What can we do? Nothing is off the table as an idea. And when we would do our team planning meeting and then as time went on though, uh, these things, this, this external force started closing more and more and more of those kinds of philosophical opportunities, right? Right. And so, what I found myself is that over the course of uh, of being there for um, you know twelve months, that um, I, I think it was about being there a year when I started to to feel the pressure of these things is that the work environment I had began to shift substantially. In what way? Well, so uh, like I said, there was, you know, we would get together and we'd have these, like as a team, these big visions for like, what do we want in the congregation? What do we want to do with these ministries? What what, What are we trying to accomplish? But, you know, there are other people involved in the church than just the church leadership. And they have their own desires and agendas and what have you. Well, one of the things that I, come to find out is that there were a lot of things in the youth ministry that existed as untouchable items that 
Uh, it wasn't just a matter of determining whether or not we should do something. It was an issue of this was going to happen, and it had to be better than what had happened in the past because that was the expectation. And so, so the so when you start this ministry, you feel like you have all of this freedom, and there's new energy, and there's new ideas, and and you're allowed to move forward with new vision and new direction. And a year in, you begin to realize that actually what they're looking for is someone to do exactly what had been done, only to do it better, even though it obviously wasn't working because you were there. You were the, they had to hire someone yeah, else. Yeah, because I was, the, you know, and I think that's something I don't think they realized until the spoiler alert, I ultimately end up leaving. Dun, dun, dun. You know, and, and that's the thing is that. For me, there was a couple of issues that started feeding into my burnout. Okay. Um, so I've been there about a year and a half now. And so being there a year, I started to feel pretty comfortable about saying, like, no, let's direct this thing. Let's be intentional. And so when those things would come up, I would say, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. Or maybe we should examine how we're doing this or change the way we're doing this. And having, I felt free to have those conversations. And a lot of it is because I felt like my you know, ministry team, my, my, my boss and the other ministry leaders of the church had back. Um, I felt like, um, that, that my vision for the ministry was a good vision and, and was one about spiritual growth and development as well as growing the tenants of the ministry. And so I felt confident in what I was doing and I felt confident in my support structure. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, as soon as I started entering into conflict, I mean, conflict wears on you, you know, anyways, right. um, that that conflict wasn't always having the same. I didn't always have the same support behind me that I thought I was going to have. And um, often I wasn't getting any headway with trying to change things or make things better or, you know, try to serve the, the ministry uh, group, the makeup of the ministry group in another way. And so I found myself feeling more and more kind of disenfranchised as a ministry leader. Uh, and, and I, and as over time, I, it felt more and more to myself, like the expectation was for me to replicate, 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 right. as opposed to innovate, innovate, innovate. Right? right. Um, and so, you know, that was, was tiresome because nobody wants to come into a job and be told, I need you to do the job exactly like the old guy did. Right. Um, and that's all we need from you. Right. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm a person, I'm a fully realized individual. Right. I have at the very least my own likes and dislikes. Um, and not to mention that youth ministry is one of those ministries where there is so much turnover. Right. So like the ministry as a, you know, for, in terms of student interest, is just this constant churning. And so um, while there were, Many people in ministry who remembered past youth ministers or past trips, there was actually a significant number of people who didn't. Right. And there was this kind of superficial force, like imprinting upon them that things had to be that way. And so, um, so that was, you know, troublesome. And then, um, one of the things I began to discover is that, uh, the expectations of my job started surprisingly shifting in a way that, that I, wasn't aware it was going to be happening. And so instead of, um, you know, in the interview time, everyone gets interviewed for a position and, and you all speak very highly about, oh, this is a position that's about spiritual growth, right. et cetera, et cetera. 
um, I started having more and more conversations about what were the numbers of this as compared to past events like it. What were um, you know the number of of students who are coming to uh, whatever you know activities? What were um, the happiness of these students? You know, as they've been saying to other people or whatever, and uh, and so that that became like a difficult thing to navigate because you sit in a room and you say, well, okay, just because people are, didn't like the event or didn't show up to the event um, doesn't mean that what we did was wrong. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that what we did wasn't good or purposeful. Um, and that's, that's a very nuanced conversation. Right. Um, and then, so that was one element that was happening and that was, that was hard. And I was trying to navigate that. Um, but there was also an, if we want to call that the external forces, there was the internal force that I was wrestling with. Um, one of the things that I had not come to realize about myself, and I only came to realize it um, later on, which I'm sure we're going to talk about how I came to realize that, um, is that I had defined my self, my role, my purpose by a set of metrics that were inaccurate. And, and we're only going to lead to like my internal dissatisfaction with myself. Right. And what I mean by that is specifically um, among the many things I had tied my identity to, um, I thought of myself as a minister, as a person who works at a church and as a person who does ministry, who is successful. So if there were kids that didn't show up or if an event wouldn't go as well as I had hoped it would go, there was a part of me that questioned my own value. Wow. Yeah. And that was difficult because I had external forces that were questioning my value in terms of what I was doing. And I had internal forces that was questioning my values and what I was doing in a different way. And I started to, you know, feel really hopeless in it. Um, I felt more and more like my time at the church just was not going to happen because there was just more clashes, more clashes about replication, replication, replication of past stuff. And you need, you know, more time, more time, more time spent putting on events and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I if I was going to leave this position, if, if who, or what I thought of as ministry was incompatible with what they wanted from their ministry, right. which meant I was, I, there was just no reason that I should stay. What did that mean for me as a person who understood myself as a, a minister, which meant I worked at a church? Yeah. And so that was kind of an existential issue that I had that sent me, like I said, into this kind of hopeless, detached, depressive state. Um, and I mean, I, I was exhibiting all the designs, the signs of, of that kind of thing. I, I was like, I, I'm a stress eater. I was putting on weight, yeah. you know, I was, um, I was just eating, you know, I, I would eat like several lunches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, my, <laughs> you know, I, there was a, a good stretch. There was a, 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 a milkshake place by the church. I'm like several days to stop and get like a big milkshake on the way home. Right. And I would just, you know, like self-medicate, self-medicate with food. Um, and that wasn't, 
Which is just making you more unhealthy. Yeah, it's just making me more unhealthy. Like I'm not going to the gym, uh, and and you, suddenly you don't feel good about yourself. You're already feeling bad about like your job performance, and mm-hmm. then so that negativity starts to seep out into other aspects of your life, right? right. You know, and, and so it just downward spiral, downward spiral. Right. And uh, I mean, that was uh, among the toughest times in my life. So for you the cause of your burnout really boils down to a couple of things. One is unrealized expectations or undefined expectations or the incredible changing expectations, which happens a lot in ministry. Oh yeah. So you have, you have these expectations, which are, it's this eternal struggle that we, we all have at some point in time where we have to balance what is spiritual, like the spiritual things to see spirits. We want, ultimately see people coming to faith in Christ. We want to see uh, students and adults and families growing in faith and all of those things. But how do you measure success? Well, in this world, we have to measure it by numbers. And, you know, because we have a corporate culture here, especially in the U.S., um, everything has to be quantifiable. So it's all about attendance. It's all about giving. It's all about uh, like satisfaction. How did you feel? And, you know, churches even send surveys to find those things out. Um, But the disconnect a lot of places, and I see this where you worked, is that the leadership had a different standard than the congregation. So you're working with the congregation uh, and they're saying, well, this is how so-and-so did such and such. And this was their results. And because I'm with the students all the time, because I live with little Timmy, I know that he was happier at this event than he was at this other event. Is, is this kind of like what's going on? And, and they're going straight to your boss. Yeah, I mean, and that was, and that was exactly the problem, is that um, they had something in their head for what they wanted. Right. And, um, and it was effectively like a time, a period of time, where things were good in this ministry. Right. And because they're just people, um, they, they thought that what was so good was programming. And like, I guess like a certain kind of personality, right. You know, before I'm leaving, they started dictating all kinds of like lifestyle things. Right. Like what? Well, like, um, I needed to change my phone number so that it was a local area code. Um, you know, I had, I had a cell phone that I'd had for years. It, it made them uncomfortable. The idea that my phone number wasn't local. Um, you know, the, the idea of like how, what high school was I, how much time was I spending at the high school doing lunches with kids? Or did I have a, a season pass to the football team and how many games was I going to? In a year, and so they begin micromanaging you. Yeah, right. in, in, a, in a way to kind of cultivate, um, you know, the kind of person I would be. I even remember uh, I had I had gotten married uh, during my first year there. I even remember there was a trip that was uh, I had been told that one of the um, adults, one of the parents, was going to plan this trip, and I'm at a phase of detachment now that I'm just whatever right. you know i didn't want to do this trip i'm it's it's being forced on me what does it matter if it's being forced on me that someone else is going to plan it all the 
all the better, right? right. Um, but there was even a moment in that where I was told, okay, so your wife can't come on this trip. Wow. And I, I said, I, I'm sorry. He goes, well, you're a different person when your wife's around or you don't interact. I forget what the exact reason. You don't interact with the kids in the same way when your wife's around or whatever. And so she can't come because it will affect the way you interact with the kids. And I'm thinking, is this because like the youth ministers and the past were single and I'm not a single youth minister? Like what's going on? And I, you know, this was one of those things where I was like, I buddy, I'm sorry. I know you're planning this trip, but if I'm going to be spending a week out of town and we need sponsors for a trip, my wife's going to come. It's right. this is a no brainer on a number of levels, but, um, and yeah, so it was that kind of stuff. And it was, um, it, you know, it, it, it's a, it's, and it's a weird experience to have that right kind of exertion on who you are. Definitely. This is to me, this is, I mean, I mean, you're listening to you talk brother. And I just keep thinking to myself, this is a prime example of where there is no vision, people perish. And so when vision isn't properly communicated uh, between leader and uh, congregation, uh, people are going to cling to what they know automatically, right? And then so, so they start, they have their expectations, and they start uh, prodding you and expecting you to meet their expectations, which either are reasonable or unreasonable, but might not be what your senior pastor has in mind for your job, right? So, um, you know, they hire you, the leadership. A group of people sit in a room and they hire you independent of the people you're going to be working with. And they have different goals and different ideas about what it is that you're supposed to do um, that have not necessarily been communicated uh, to the people that you will be working with uh, in the field. Uh, And then everything begins to just unravel because suddenly, who is your boss? Who is it that you're answering to? And, you know, ultimately, we say, oh, well, it's your senior pastor or it's your elder board, but we really know that the congregation and, and what they're happy about has a lot of has a lot of sway. Well, and, yeah. and and ultimately for me, it literally became the congregation. The very last meeting I ever sat. Well, not the very last one of the very one of the final meetings I sat in as we marched through this was literally a meeting with a bunch of the um I guess parent leaders or what have you uh, with kids in the youth ministry who had been involved with youth ministry of the years. And I was told that I was going to sit and take notes and they were going to go around and tell me of the kinds of things I needed oh, to change. My <laughs> That's insane. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and that was the moment where I said, no, this, this is done. Um, and, and, you know, but, but that's the thing, right? Is that choices get made and choices get made. And over time, who does my boss become? So we're just going to take turns throwing rocks at you. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody, give little Timmy a rock. He gets to throw rocks too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that, you know, that a room full of people saying you're not good enough and you suck at this and you're terrible at that, man. I'm sorry. Well, you know, yeah. and, and, and like I said, there, there were two elements to this. Those were the external factors that were working on me right. in terms of burnout. And that was a rough working environment. Yeah. Right. And it's something that, um, honestly, even in spite of all the red flags that someone could have witnessed and, you know, mm-hmm. paid attention to in the beginning, I would have never imagined myself, you know, 20 months later, sitting in a room full of people just getting to say, these are the things I want you to change about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was like quite the adventure, but at the same time, it was coupled with this internal issue right. that I was having to 
discover about myself, about how I defined who I was and how I understood my value. Right. Uh, which is to say that it was misplaced in thinking I was only valuable if I was working for a church and my, I was being successful in terms of like numbers and what have you. Um, with the position. And I think that that's closer to my experiences. Actually, my experience is all internal troubles, right? So I think that, um, you know, all churches have their difficulties, certainly. But when you couple that with uh, things that have existed forever, um, it can really begin to explode. So when we think about, I've, I've burned out a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we were talking about this before we started recording. Why don't you share your experience? Because we the comment I made was, it's really interesting that we're going to be talking about this, and we have two different kinds of stories. Different kinds of stories. So, um, you know, I, I worked I worked in my first ministry. It's a great church. Uh, I still love those people. I will all, They will always have my heart. And it was just an incredible, an incredible ministry experience. And truthfully, I probably could have stayed there forever and been 100 percent uh completely content and had solid ministry solid ministry experiences except for one thing tim and that's that i'm never satisfied dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it's like um you know when you have a personality type that i have um it's really difficult uh i'm you know i'm high strong i have i have high expectations ultimate like a type personality i'm an ideas person um i'm creative and i feel like just because i'm in the room you should at least listen to my opinion if not 100% agree with it and and those you know those are those are personality traits that are really a powder keg uh in ministry that that really set you up for failure i i remember getting to the end of my ministry and there wasn't it wasn't that there was necessarily anything wrong but what was wrong was that the reality didn't match up with my expectations. So there's this, uh, there's this idea that Rocky puts in his head about how it's supposed to be. How is, uh, how is his youth group supposed to look? Um, how is Rocky, and I'm speaking in first person. I know I'm not using words like the Lord's youth group. I'm perfectly aware of that. Please, <laughs> please don't leave a comment about that. I'm, I'm doing it on purpose. So, um, I, you know, what, what, was, what was Rocky's expectation? How was his church supposed to look? How was the Sunday morning supposed to go? How is worship supposed to go on Sunday nights? How, um, how is the, how are the elders supposed to treat me? And how is my senior pastor supposed to work with me? So you have this idealized version of church in your head. I have an idealized version of everything in my head all the time, Tim. Not just church, but everything. <laughs> so you know, I'm a I'm a dreamer. I'm a I'm a visionary, and it, and and that's uh and that's it. And so whenever there is this this expectation, and the reality doesn't meet up, and there's this deficit there, I start to feel really anxious, and I begin trying to figure out what is wrong and what I can change. The problem is is that I can't change everything, and so I have this uh. I've had anxiety since I was 16. Um, and when everything is out of, out of my control, when there are things that are out of my control, and, I, and as a young pastor, I didn't realize this about myself, but when things are out of my control, I begin to try and compensate. So I begin to experiment and I begin to try and uh, look for ways to ease that anxiety. And if I can't, 
then I start to implode a little bit and I start to have panic and it, and it's this really volatile situation. And so by the time, you know, I'm three years into my first ministry, um, my first full-time ministry, and this panic is an everyday issue for me. And, um, and it's easy for me because I have these ridiculous expectations. It's easy for me to say, oh, well, this is uh, my senior pastor's fault, or this is my congregation's fault, or this is uh, the parents' fault for this, or this is uh, this is the the secretary who did this, or or whatever, because I have these unreasonable standards for everybody, right? Going in my head, and um, there's never a point where I can say, I can say, well, this is happening because they're human beings that I work with. Um, and they have their own free will, um, and they're doing the best that they can. And there are things that I I learned later that I was expecting of my church that I should have been expecting from God, like that were God's place in my life, right? Not not my church's place in my life. So I was I was expecting, um, you know, my church to be a source of of comfort and peace for me. And when it was just a group of sinners worshiping together uh, in a place that devastated me. As a man now, Tim, I realize I realize God is my source of comfort and peace. There's not a senior pastor who can do that for me, but that's a that's a personal relationship with God. That's that's fruit of the Spirit. That's giving us through the Lord, you know. But when I'm in that situation, I'm I'm this young pastor. It's easy for me to say they are failing me because I don't experience those things on a regular basis. And so I I I do wonderful ministry there for as long as I can, and it's wonderful. And everybody's happy, and we were not. Nobody was mad at me. Um, it was it was it was beautiful. I remember that time actually. Yeah. You you had such a a great youth group yet kids <laughs> that oh, were a lot of fun we were so like we were we were like the picture of the perfect youth group it was so bad that i would go to camp and, and other youth pastors would make fun of us because we were just like the idea you know what i mean um and yeah it was ridiculous the great kids was such good a good time of ministry but because of things that i was struggling with like my internal struggles it was never something that i could appreciate so i leave there um, and I, I spiraled him like I'm out of ministry for a year because I don't want to jump back in. Um, and I don't know what I want to do. So I go on this, I go on this crazy, uh, journey of, of self-discovery because I need to walk away from ministry because it was just too perfect, I guess. I don't know what my problem was. So Tim, was, so for a little bit, I'm in, I'm in Georgia helping with a project there. And then I'm in Tennessee helping with a project there. And then I'm in South Dakota living on an Indian reservation for a little bit. Building. Just crazy. Yeah. So you like eat, pray, your love. Yeah, eat, pray, yeah. love, your way through. <laughs> and then ultimately, right, I end up, I end up working. Out. I'm, I'm out of savings. I'm out of, you know, six months in, I'm out of savings. Uh, I come to Dallas. Uh, there's nothing for me here. So I move back to San Antonio and I'm working at Walmart, uh, trademark Walmart. Um, not a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> I'm working in there. I'm working in their tire and lube uh, for months, just um, doing anything but what I what I ultimately know that I'm called to do. And I'm just waiting to jump back in. And you know, I hadn't ruined my reputation. There was no reason for me to to be out of ministry that long. 
So what ultimately made you jump back in? Well, I think that uh, I calmed down, right? I was able to, I, I was able to get ahead of the panic, but the panic was still there. Okay. You know? But I was able to get ahead of it for a little bit. So, um, so you, you got involved in another ministry. I did. I did. I got involved in another great ministry. I, how did how did that go? It was a great church. Um, difficult. It was difficult. Every church has its problems, and and for me, it's always easy to blame, you know, churches and their natural progression and things like that. I had I had great elders. I had great leaders. I had I had uh, great support. They were not perfect, but they were great, and I and I recognize that. But you know, one year in, two years in. Three years in, four years in, I'm starting to experience the same things, right? And I'm, uh, there's this deficit of expectation, um, and I'm not, I'm not satisfied, and I'm burning out in my work, and it's becoming obvious. I'm starting to feel like distant from my work. I'm unmotivated. Um, I'm starting to feel that anxiety, like panic, becomes an everyday occurrence for me, and. Ultimately, it uh, I have to step away from that ministry too, um, through a series of circumstances. But while I'm there, I realize, wait a second, um, this is the second time this completely different set of people. This is the second time this is this exact same thing is happening to me. And then, um, in a moment of clarity, through wonderful people who confront Rocky and are very honest with him. Um, you realize, you know, maybe the problem is Rocky. If this keeps happening everywhere Rocky goes, because I had experienced something like it in college too. If if Rocky keeps burning out because of this lack of expectation, uh, the, these these needs being met that he perceives that he needs, um, maybe the problem is not the church. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe there's there are uh, things in my personality that I struggle to balance out. See, and I find this really interesting, and that's one of the things I love about your story, is that you're not trying to say that there weren't problems, right? or that, you know, you're not trying to claim that that there weren't things that got in your crawl or, you know, bugged you about your working situations at any one place, but you're recognizing that, that really those were all unique to their own experience, they right. were not the contributing factor to right. what was your ultimate issue yeah, when every time. When you're, when you're not healthy, like I wasn't healthy, um, then the stress, normal stress, uh, is exacerbated. It's, it's 10 times worse than it, than it should be or could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so every, everything becomes uh, an exercise in emotion every day. So how did you get help? Well, uh, you know, I was having, I was having constant anxiety, um, and I started developing obsessive behaviors and because I was having panic attacks, I was going to the doctor a lot. So I was like, I would get a bump on the back of my neck and it'd be like, oh, I have a brain tumor or I'm having a heart attack or, um, and everybody right now who's listening, who struggles with anxiety or panic attacks is shaking their head up and down right now. You understand, (laughs) um, you know, and so I'm going to the doctor all the time. And I'm constantly seeing uh, my doctor and my doctor says, well, you know, you have anxiety and um, you should go talk to someone. So I, I, I went and saw a therapist and um, 
when I saw this, when I saw this therapist, uh, you know, he was able to identify something that I realized that I had struggled with my entire life. I had my first panic attack when I was 15 or 16 years old, Tim. I just didn't know what that's, that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't realize that this is what I was experiencing and that it would be something that would define a lot of the choices that I'd made in my life uh, later on. Um, and, you know, so I had to seek treatment in order to be healthy. I had to seek treatment for um, a real physical thing that was happening to me, uh, this anxiety. So um, what, uh, how did you get help? You know, it, this is funny because while we had two similar uh, or two different kinds of experience, we had two similar uh, kinds of resolution um, situations. I also found myself in those moments uh, going to see a therapist or a counselor, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it, it's funny because my wife has um, she has a degree in psychology. Her undergrad is in psychology. She's not a practicing psychologist or anything like that. But uh, she's familiar with having from having worked in the medical field and, and various things like that with some of the codes. And she remembers looking at the receipt on uh, one of the counseling sessions. And she goes, Oh, I know what this code is. And I go, what is it? She goes, uh, we used to have to follow this code. It's uh, it's just for like general, like stress that, you know, person like issues or whatever, not for any kind of like psychological disorder. And, um, and that, you know, kind of, was the reality of my situation that for me, um, he helped me to walk through what I was feeling. Um, he helped me to understand the kind of situation I was in and helped me to, to step back from all of that and get a picture of where all the problems were. Because, you know, when I was in the thick of it, um, ultimately uh, I, I'm I'm still trying to reconcile what's happening with my job with like being a good minister and persevering through hard times. Right. right. And I, and it was hard to, to separate out that like, this is just a bad environment thing from the sometimes ministry is hard stuff. Right. And, and it was in talking through that, that I came to realize both that, no, this was, this was a bad situation in terms of work environment, but also a bad situation in terms of the way that I understood myself. And I've already commented a couple of times. It was through that, that I both realized number one, I can't define myself based on how many students showed up to some disciple now or whatever I plan, right? That that is not a healthy metric for a person, nor is it a real way that a minister should define themselves. Right. Um, and so in that avenue and the ter- internal issue that I had, he helped me to come to understand that, um, that, that who I am as a minister or who I, what I think of myself as a minister is not tied directly to the job that I'm doing mm-hmm. or the events that I'm putting on. Right. And he helped me to see that, um, the situation I was in needed some real workplace resolution, which ultimately probably was going to have to result in my just leaving workplace. Right. Because spiritual things aside, environmental factors are environmental factors. Right. And, you, and you've got to work through those things pragmatically. And so after doing, you know, several months of sessions with him, um, we kind of came to this moment of, yeah. of decision. So, 
So, and for me, the, the, the process goes like, you know, um, having to deal with one issue at a time because I have these high expectations, right? So one is dealing with the expectations issue, which is uh, a thing that happens when people are a type personality. Uh, we tend to be high strung. We tend to have high expectations of ourselves and other people, but you have to learn how to balance your gifts, right? Um, I, I know that I, I didn't have good boundaries uh, because of these high expectations and because I'm a single man, uh, I can uh, I can justify working for hours on anything. So I, I was working too much. Um, I would let people put the, all these expectations on me. Uh, I was taking on too many responsibilities and ultimately I wasn't getting enough sleep. Sleep was not something that, that happened. So, you know, part of that process has to be learning good sleep hygiene, um, and dealing with sleep disorder stuff. Um, and that was a whole, a whole part of it. So, you know, it wasn't just one thing, right. It wasn't just, treat the anxiety, right? That was part of it. But then it was also uh, the physical health stuff. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Turns out I had sleep apnea and I had to be treated for that. So better sleep helped me feel better. Better sleep hygiene helped me feel better. Uh, being more active, uh, building more relationships with friends and making, making that a time. Because one of the things that my burnout did uh, was I would go to church, I would work, 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 and I would be around people all day. And then I would isolate. I would just isolate myself, you know? And so someone had to say, Rocky, you can't do that. It doesn't matter if you feel like hanging out with people or not, you were created for community. So and it's difficult and you have to force yourself to do it, but you do it, you know? And so through all of those things adding up, like I, I began to feel better. Um, and my relationship with God got better. My relationship with my friends got better. My relationship with myself got better. Um, my anxiety decreases, decreases. It's always there haunting me. It's always there under the surface. Um, but it's manageable now. So I'm not going to the hospital every five minutes because I think I have uh, a tumor behind my eye or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I think the, the last question that we would ask each other in this is, um, and you, you started to begin to answer that is what, what's different now for you. And um, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that what's different now from you is that you understand this is an issue, a persistent issue. And there are like specific steps that you have to take at times to manage it. Right. And, and to make sure that you keep your eye on it to some degree and in, in, in conjunction with all the other things that you're doing so that you're able to tell the difference between anxiety and other issues. Absolutely. And just being honest about things and putting things in their proper place, you know, I mean, so much has changed for me. Um, I'm a lot, I'm a lot calmer. Um, someone even actually told me at one point in time that, uh, being around me was like a, a peaceful experience and they come to my, my apartment when I have people over and they're like, Oh, well, this is a, this is a very like calm environment, but it's completely intentional. Like you, you, uh, you work on, you work on your relationship with God and you work on your relationship with yourself through God. Uh, and your life begins to produce that fruit. 
Um, and people, people really begin to recognize that and you begin to benefit from that. And, but I had to tag out. It was not something I could do on my own. Um, what's incredible, Tim, is like, we look at these stats here that, you know, 1,500 pastors are leaving. Lots of pastors are leaving within their first five years of ministry. Um, the help exists. Uh, we just have to, we just have to have enough you know, enough, um, how would you say it? Enough trust, enough faith to, to go and get it, to ask for it. And that, like, we have to humble ourselves enough, Yeah, I guess, to say, you know, this is a normal pastoral experience and the help is out there. If we, if we just go get it, I can continue to do ministry. Yes. If I'm, if I'm willing to go get help. I, and I think that's, like I said earlier, the hardest thing is trying to separate what are the ministry's hard stuff from what is that this is something I need help with stuff. And, you know, I, I know for me, what's, what's different now. I ended up um, leaving that church, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I don't work vocationally at a church right now, um, at least not full time. Over the last several years, I've done part-time gigs. So there was a time I came and did stuff with you for for worship, and that was a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, my my wife and I got involved in a local church, and we got involved in um, their young adult ministry, and we've been involved in their worship ministry. Because part of what I came to understand, what's different now from then, is I. I had the sense of who I was as a, as a minister. I mean, I had to work for a church. Like if I wasn't making all of my income from going to the office at a church every day, I wasn't a minister. And, and that created like a certain set of parameters for how I had to live my life that created a lot of. Oh yeah. There's a lot of stigma about that too, isn't there? Exactly. And so as part of my transition, um, or my counseling time, um, you know, I came to understand that like I don't have to be working at a church to do ministry. Right. Uh, I can I can be plugged in somewhere, and and there is a sense in which you know my wife and I we both have Bible college degrees. Um, <laughs> I have uh, we both have um, ministry leading experience. I have obviously an extensive amount of time of working vocationally in the church. We are like the ideal you know, parishioners to any congregation, right. you know, we walk in and we say, yes, we'd like to get involved. We like to volunteer at times. And people are like, yes, <laughs> Jesus, you better friends. You know, uh, and that is a different kind of role that we've actually found ourselves really enjoying. Now, um, that doesn't mean that I haven't been doing stuff. Obviously we founded productive ministry and, uh, you know, father of that is Rumble media. And we, you know, you and I have been working on things that are maybe ministry adjacent or tangential right. to, to the ministry world. And I view my role in that and my ability to do part-time stuff or volunteer stuff with churches as. Yep. But that's your story, man. As, 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 yeah. It's just like a huge benefit to that while I do other entrepreneurial things. And, uh, and it's been a good fit for me at this time in life. And I, I like to tell people, cause you know, they say, well, you were in ministry for a long time, but, would you ever go back? And I said, sure. If the right opportunity is presented to me, if God calls me, you know, 
to to a situation, whether it's in our local church that we're involved in now or it's a different church elsewhere. I would love to take that again. I love working for churches, uh, but I don't have to work for them. My identity is no longer tied to whether or not I'm on staff at a church somewhere. And that's like the grace in it all. That's like God's working in you. That's what he's been teaching you through this whole process, right? Yes, and, and it's given me so much more freedom to do ministry than when I thought of myself as when I'm a minister and I'm a youth minister and these are the kinds of things I have to do. This is the kind of job I have to find. And, and that's been a big difference. There's still a lot of stuff that I have to manage, too. Um, there are, I was up till 3 a.m. last night, you know. <laughs> um, there are a lot of nights where I force myself to just go to bed and not stay up and work. Um, there's a, a lot of times where now I'm, I'm forcing myself to say no to a project than, than taking it on because, uh, you know, I can't overload myself. I need to manage my stress. I need to manage my commitment. I need to manage my sleep because all of those things are stress factors that can lead to burnout. Even if you're not in the mix, even if you're doing a thing you love like this, they still can cause burnout. Yeah. <laughs> Even when it's your own thing and you're in charge. Um, so those are the kinds of things I, I still do to make sure that I don't burn myself out of of, of this. So, so what what are you gonna say if there's a if there's a young pastor who is like you, you know, you're speaking to yourself, but it's somebody else who's actually working out there who 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 God has brought this podcast to and they're listening to it right now and this is an opportunity. What is your what would you tell them? Because there's got to be thousands of pastors right now who know exactly what it is that you're talking about, who have sat around that table and who have heard, you know, this is what you're doing wrong. And what what do you want to say to them? Um, I think I, the thing I would say to them is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can only draw from my own experience to say that uh, you are not a failure if you leave a church. Right. That just because you're leaving a ministry does not mean that you have failed as a minister. Um, there are legitimate situations to which you find yourselves in an environment that is just not conducive to healthy working. And and it's important, though, that you distinguish those from the hard times. And and the only way that we do this is by creating a support structure. Right. And and for me, that involved. You know, other ministers it involved formal counseling. Uh, I, you know, I, I couldn't go through that situation alone if I if I didn't have a support structure in place. If I hadn't cultivated even a more a broader support structure than than I even started with through that situation. I mean, heck, there is a, probably if we believe in the infinite universe theory. A, a timeline unto which there is a young man who changes his phone number and buys a and, and you know cuts I'm sure cuts his hair a certain way and dresses a certain way and, right. and you know who who lives his life unto whatever end that was, uh, and and that's not a good scenario either. So right. you know the hardest thing is when you when you are doing it alone. Yeah, and and and. And if you find yourself, yeah, ministry is a team sport. Yeah, ministry is a team sport. Yeah, tattoo that on your forehead. Well, maybe not. I mean, probably your church wouldn't like that. But um, ministry is a team sport. Sport. And so my advice is make sure that you make sure that you have a support structure, but also understand that 
Sometimes things end and you got to look for the next thing. Yeah. What would you impart upon those who are those A-type personalities out there walking around having a panic attack? Yeah, yeah. First thing I would say is you need to calm down, buddy. They're listening They're listening to this podcast right now as they've just gotten out of the doctor's office. Driving to the next appointment, listening to this, uh, telling Siri to take notes, um, So, which is what I would be doing. Um, uh, you know, I would say the first thing is, and I say this to everyone, everyone, you know, it was God who said he would meet all your needs. It was God who promised that, you know, it wasn't your church. It wasn't your wife. It wasn't your friends. It wasn't, you know, they weren't the ones who created you. Uh, they're not the ones who said uh, that they, that they know what it is that you need and, and that they will give that to you and provide that to you. So uh, put everything in its proper place, um, you know, uh, and making, make sure that the expectations that you have uh, for the people around you are, are reasonable for human beings and not expectations that um, that are promises from God, you know, because they will never, they will never meet up to that. And once you give you, you know, once you give everybody around you to be permission to be less than God, uh, that's a, that's a big break. Everybody's laughing, but you know, it's true. You do it. Um, And then, and then I would say, I would say um, if you, if you have, an anxiety disorder or whatever kind of disorder, uh, that is not something that you're just going to get over. You have to get help. You know, it's all about, you know, it's all about support and, and all of those things. And the tools exist. It's 2016 as we are recording this. Um, and it is okay to ask for help if you need it. And the help is there. It, it exists. It is out there. Um, and you can grow and you can be healthy. And, um, you know, anxiety might be part of your story. The Lord might heal you from it completely. The Lord can do whatever he wants. But it might be like, you know, a thorn in your side and something that you just have to learn to live with. Um, but you can learn everything that you need. So just uh, just ask for help. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling run down, whatever it is, don't think that, that, that this is something that you can fix on your own. Tap out. Uh, tag someone else in. Uh, get some other people involved and get the help that you need for sure. Today's episode, as well as the original episode, were both produced by myself, Tim Jenkins. Productive Ministry is hosted by Rocky Hernandez. Thank you to audible.com for sponsoring the show. You can get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. The Productive Ministry Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask you to please rate and subscribe. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. Follow us on Twitter at prodministry, that's P-R-O-D ministry. Our website is productiveministry.org. Our closing music is the song Rear View by Josh Lease from his album Rear View. You can find out more information from him and a lot of his great music on bandcamp.com. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week. See you in two weeks.